0: wanted to mention uh, that next week we'll be having our communion service and also uh, Pastor Jonathan Moore from one of our churches here in Canfield is going to stop by to make a presentation to our congregation next week. so I hope you're here. That'll be taking place next week. Okay. we have volume, there we go with me (laughs) hopefully uh, we're working and we're still on there we go well uh, we've come to the main message portion of our service this morning and uh, as we always do we'll ask God's help Heavenly Father we'd like to thank you for this book that you've given us your revelation to us of uh, how we came to be why we're here on this earth who you are who your son is, who the Holy Spirit is, and your purpose as it's being worked out here on earth. We know that uh, normal mortal men and women can't understand, but you've given us understanding. You've revealed your word to us through the Holy Spirit. So help us to appreciate that fact. And as we open our Bibles and hear your word preached today, we pray that you'll have this word go right to our hearts. And touch each and every one of us and change us Lord as we said earlier so thank you for this privilege and we ask this now in Jesus name Amen Uh, in the past couple of sermons we've been in the book of Acts and we kind of uh, carried on a little bit from the day of Pentecost to see what happened to the church and some of the experiences that they had and we're learning from those things Uh, Last week, we talked about the first miracle performed by the church, uh, Peter and John healing a crippled man, and uh, what happened after that. We're going to read on a little bit further today. We're going to pick it up in uh, Acts chapter 4, and uh, we're going to begin in verse 36. The church was thriving. The Holy Spirit was powerfully leading the church, and uh, great things were happening and the church was together it says in verse 32 all the believers were one in heart and mind no one claimed that any of his possessions were his own but they shared everything that they had wonderful example for us to follow verse 33 with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the lord jesus and much grace was upon them all There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Again, just a very generous uh, attitude on the part of the church members, making sure that nobody in the congregation was in need, and we still try to do that today. It mentions one individual, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field. He owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So can you imagine like today when we had the offering, somebody says, you know what, I sold a piece of property and here's the money from it. I want to dedicate this to the church. So just a wonderful attitude of generosity that so many people had. Now we come to uh, chapter 5 and it's Kind of an awkward, difficult chapter here, because it talks about something shocking that happened in the church. It mentions a married couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. It says here, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the the apostles' feet. Now, what was the problem with what he did? Well, Barnabas sold a piece of property and brought the entire amount and said that this represents the property I sold, I'm giving this to the church. Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property, and they kind of noticed that the reaction that Barnabas got when he made his Dedication and his offering to the church. Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property. They wanted that same, uh, you know, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say recognition. Thank you. Recognition. But here's the problem they kind of made a, a plan to themselves that we're going to tell the church that we're bringing the entire amount for the property and we're dedicating it to the church. But secretly, they decided, well, you know what? We got a lot of bills, and I don't know if we want to give that much money to the church, so we're going to hold back part of it, but we're going to tell the church that this is the entire amount that we sold the property for. Somehow, Peter gets wind of this. We don't know how it happened, but he comes to understand what they did. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Now, you didn't have to do this. Didn't didn't the land belong to you before it was sold and even after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men but to God. So, in other words, Ananias, (laughs) you didn't have to do this. You could have just brought half the, the, the money and told us that it's half the money, and we would have accepted it gladly and, you know, praise God for your generosity. But why did you have to do this thing where you kept back part of it and told us you're giving us the whole thing? You're lying here. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. He just dropped dead. Wow. Wow. You know, you hear of things happening like that in the Old Testament, but wait a minute, this is the New Testament, this is the church. We're talking about people who have been born again, who have accepted Jesus as their Savior. How can this happen? And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me. So in other words, he gives her the opportunity to repent. He says, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. So she lies again. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she dropped dead at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events." Wow, that's shocking. That's, that's unbelievable. How, how could this happen? Why would this happen? So you see, Ananias and his wife wanted the credit and the prestige for sacrificial giving without the inconvenience of sacrificial giving. So in order to gain a reputation in the congregation as very generous people, very, very giving people, in order to to gain that reputation to which they had no right because they weren't really doing what they said they were doing. They weren't giving the whole amount, they only gave part of it. They also lied about it. So their real motive in giving was not to help the church, but to fatten their own ego. They wanted to appear before the rest of the church members as just very generous and giving people. But down deep inside, they weren't really like that. They were holding back part of the money. You know, it it said in verse 4 that Barnabas, who gave the entire amount of the land that he sold, he was a concerned, faithful, and true disciple. But by comparison, Ananias and Sapphira were selfish, faithless liars. Now, you know, the incident shows that the church, even in its earliest days, was not a community of perfect people. I think that's one of the reasons why this story is included in the book of Acts. The church is always an imperfect sinning group that daily needs the forgiveness of Jesus. That includes us today. None of us here are perfect. Just as in the first uh, century church, people struggled. But why was the results of their sin so stunning? And why were their lives required by God? I want to talk a little bit about this story and see what we can learn from it. I've got four particular lessons that I think we can learn from this story, and uh, I hope you find it helpful. Now Luke, when he described what happened here, and he talked about how they kept, they held some of the money back, they kept it back. Luke uses a particular Greek word here. I'm not going to say the word, but it's a very rare word in in the Bible. He talked about them holding some of the money back that should have gone to the church. This word for keeping it back or holding it back is the same word that was used in a story in the Old Testament. And I'd like to turn back to the book of Joshua. And it had to do with a man by the name of Achan. In Joshua chapter 6, and I think we can kind of draw an analogy here, and it can start to help us with some of the questions we might have in our mind as to how this whole incident transpired. Because there was a man back in the Old Testament who also held back <laughs> something that he shouldn't have. And like I said, the same word is used to describe what he did, held back. In Joshua chapter 6, This tells the story after the uh, Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness. God had rescued them from Egypt and uh, they were traveling back to the promised land but because of sin, God kept them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Well, that time had come to an end and now the Israelites were finally going to enter into the promised land. They were gonna cross over the Jordan River and uh, finally enter into the land that God had in mind for them. But uh, one of the things that God had his people do was to eradicate some of the surrounding nations, the pagan nations. So once he plants his, uh, his people in the land he had prepared for them, he didn't want them influenced by the pagan nations that lived around this area. So one by one, he had them go in and eradicate these people. Uh, one of them was the town of Jericho. I think we all are familiar with the story of Jericho, and uh, that's when he had his people surround the city and march around the city and blow trumpets, and he said, you know, the last time that you guys do this, the walls of the city are going to fall down miraculously. You just go in and conquer the people, and that's what happened. But God said something to his people, you know, all of the riches that are in that city of Jericho, don't touch them they're dedicated to God. They're all going to be brought to uh, you know, the place of worship, and they're going to be put in the, the church treasury, because that's God's money. But there was a problem with one person by the name of Achan. He didn't follow instructions. It says in Joshua 6, verse 18, Joshua 6, verse 18, Uh, he tells his people, but keep away from the devoted things. Once you conquer that city so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring much trouble on it. Verse 19, all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Now notice in chapter seven, verse one, But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel." And verse 11 of of chapter seven, Israel has sinned, they have violated my covenant which I commanded them to keep, they have taken some of the devoted things, they have stolen, they have lied, they have put them with their own possessions." And uh, the Lord, before the nation of Israel, found out who did this, and finally it was revealed that it was Achan, and Achan you know, held back, he kept back for himself things that should have gone to the Lord. So, in a similar way, Ananias and Sapphira held back to themselves things that should have been going to the Lord, and they lied about it. So, both of these incidents draw an immediate and extreme judgment from God. Now, the Christians in the New Testament church would have known this story from the Old Testament, that they would have been very familiar with it. So you see, similar things happened. Uh, Achan was put to death; he was stoned to death as a punishment for what he had done. And I think this kind of gives us an answer as to why did this happen to uh, Ananias and Sapphira? Drop dead! Why? Well, the Lord brought it about. Why? Why was this such an evil sin, and why did God intervene in such a way? Well. Just as Israel was advancing into the promised land, and when this whole thing happened with Achan stealing the things from Jericho instead of allowing them to go to the Lord, it stopped everything. It stopped Israel dead in its tracks. God said, wait a minute, we've got to deal with this right now. So the advance of Israel into the promised land came to a halt. And they went through a a series of things to finally find out who was guilty and who who did this thing. It brought upon uh, Israel curses, not just one man, but it caused the whole uh, nation to be uh, cursed. And in a similar way, what Ananias and Sapphira did, the church is on the move. Pentecost had just happened, the church is growing, the gospel is being preached, the advance of the gospel now is stopped because of the sin of these two people. And in a similar way, God has to deal with it swiftly and decisively. He didn't want Achan's attitude to spread throughout the rest of Israel, and he didn't want Ananias and Sapphira's attitude to spread throughout the church. So God, for his reasons, decided to deal with it in a very decisive way. Achan was put to death. Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. God's not messing around. In each case, the sin had to be removed so that the rest of the community could continue to move forward. Amen. And I think that's why Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. It stunned the church. It shocked the church. It made people think. And, you know, we have to realize, too, (laughs) that the things of God are the things of God, and it's not to be taken lightly. We have to deal seriously with things. So Achan's example, that's the first thing, Achan in the Old Testament, Compare that story to what Ananias and Sapphira did, and maybe that gives us an understanding of why God dealt with it so suddenly and so shockingly. He doesn't want to see an attitude, a negative attitude or a sinful attitude go through the church because it spreads like leavening. Remember the story in the church in Corinth when a man was having sexual relations with that his stepmother or his mother-in-law whatever the case may be the man was put out of the church thankfully he finally repented and was brought back into the church but the apostle Paul said this is how this has to be dealt with you can't cheapen what's going on in the church this is God's work so it had to be dealt with swiftly the second thing I'd like you to consider, and I think the second lesson that we can learn from this incident, we'll go back to Acts now, is Satan's involvement. This was not just a sin of two people, a married couple. This was an attack on the church by Satan himself. Now, how do we know that that's the case? Well, Peter, or, uh, Peter says to uh, Ananias and Sapphira, this was Satan. How could you allow Satan to tempt you to do this? Okay. It was in verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? So this is an attack on the church by Satan. That's why it happened. If you remember last week, we talked about the church being attacked by Satan from the outside. It was the Sanhedrin who took Peter and John and threw them in jail and then warned them and threatened them and said, you have to stop preaching this gospel. Stop talking about Jesus Christ. So that's when Satan attacked the church from the outside. Now he's attacking the church from the inside. He caused a couple of people to sin in such a way that the advance of the church came to a halt. So Satan will attack. Just as he attacked back in the first century of the church, he still attacks the church today. And sometimes we think that something is just a particular sin when actually it's an attack by Satan himself. Furthermore, how do we know that this is Satan? Well, let's look at the sins that were committed by Ananias and Sapphira. First of all, lying. They lied. There's a verse in John 8, verse 44, where Jesus says, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. John 8, verse 44. So one of the sins that Ananias and Sapphira committed, lying, who was that inspired by? The father of lies, Satan. Another thing that uh, Ananias and Sapphira had was a desire for praise. They made a big deal about what they contributed to the church. It wasn't all that they said it was, but the reason they did it was they saw how Barnabas had been praised for devoting money to the church. They wanted to be praised too. Another of Satan's hangups. If you want to turn to uh, Luke 4, verses 5 and 7, what is a hang-up of Satan, the devil? He wants to be praised. So he had the gall in Luke 4, verses 5 through 7, when he was tempting Jesus. One of the temptations, Satan said this to Jesus. Luke four verse five, The devil led him up to a huge place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world." And he said to him, "I will give you, Jesus, all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you, what? worship me. Worship me. It will all be yours. Satan wants to be worshipped. He likes praise. So, when Ananias and Sapphira did this, their main motive for doing it was they wanted to be praised like Barnabas was praised for generosity, for a giving attitude. So, this sin has Satan's fingerprints all over it. So, it involved lying, and Satan is the father of lies. It involved a desire for praise, and that's exactly what Satan desires. And a third thing that the sin of Ananias and Sapphira involved was hypocrisy. They wanted to appear to be something that they really weren't. They wanted to appear to be generous and giving when they really weren't. (laughs) In their heart of hearts, they conspired to hold back part of the cost. And once again I won't turn there but another scripture in 2 Corinthians 11:14 2 Corinthians 11:14 it says how Satan masquerades as an angel of light He masquerades he's a hypocrite he pretends to be something that he's not He masquerades as an angel of light when he has really nothing to do with light or godly understanding or godly presence. He's anti God. He is totally opposed to God. So it's interesting. How do we know that this is an attack on the church by Satan? It involved lying, it involved a desire for praise, and it de- involved a, a desire for, or it de- involved hypocrisy. People trying to appear to be something that they're not. And that's got Satan's fingerprints all over it. By tempting Ananias and Sapphira to do this, Satan tried to cheapen the holiness of God in the church. He tried to cheapen the holiness of God's people in the minds of the church members. So how would the rest of the congregation felt when this happened? Well, you know, Ananias and Sapphira donate this amount of money And at first, everybody, oh, wonderful, wonderful. But then the truth comes to the surface that this is really not all that they got for the property. They're saying that they're donating the entire amount, but it's only a portion of it. And right in front of all the church, and why did Peter confront them in front of all the church? Because the sin was committed in front of all the church. (laughs) You know, if a sin is done in private, you correct it privately. But if somebody sins in front of the whole congregation, they have to be corrected in front of the whole congregation. Amen. Because you see, it, in the minds of the church members, it cheapens the church. How can something like this happen in the church? All of a sudden, everybody's not feeling so excited about the church, that everybody's depressed and discouraged, and how can this happen in the church? So Peter felt the need, and rightly so, to correct them right in front of the whole church. Now, probably what Peter was going to do was to ask Ananias, don't you think you need to repent and to apologize to the rest of the congregation? Before the words can come out of his mouth, the man dropped dead. And I'm sure Peter was just as shocked as anybody else sitting in the congregation on that day. And then when his wife came, you know, he asked her, He gave her a chance, you know. He said, "Is this how much you actually got for the land?" She could have said, "Well, she didn't know what happened to her husband." She could have said, "Well, no, we actually cheated, and I'm really sorry about it. But uh, you know, we made this plan to tell you we're donating so much, but we really didn't. And and you know, please forgive me." But she didn't do that. She. Affirmed, Yeah, that's how much we got from the land, and the same thing happened to her. So, just a dreadful, unfortunate account, but it was directed by Satan. And it wasn't just an attack on these people, it was an attack on the church as a whole. So, the third thing, I think the third lesson we can learn from this is... As Peter said here, you haven't just lied to me, you haven't just lied to the church members here, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. What do you mean by that? You lied to the Holy Spirit. Well, throughout the book of Acts, it's very evident that Luke, the writer of this book, showing that the Holy Spirit is guiding the church at every turn. It always continues to mention the Holy Spirit at work in the church the Holy Spirit telling the church to do this or sending them in that direction. And sometimes they're intending to do something and he says, the Holy Spirit said, no, you shouldn't do that right now. I got something else in mind for you. So the Holy Spirit is very involved. That's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was going to be the one actually leading and directing the church in everything. So this particular sin, what Ananias and Sapphira did, was directly opposed to the Spirit's efforts. The church was moving. The church was prospering. The church was growing. And what Ananias and Sapphira did was totally opposed to what the Spirit was doing. So that's why Peter said, you haven't lied to me. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You have tried to disrupt exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing through the church right now the direction the church is going, the gospel being preached and all that, not only have you cheapened the holiness of God in the church by what you're doing, but you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, we are told as Christians today the same thing, that the Holy Spirit is involved. You know, we always pray that the Holy Spirit be here with us today, that he guide and direct the service according to his will. We don't want to micromanage the service to the point that we don't allow the Holy Spirit the freedom to do what he wants to do here today. And you know, sometimes things happen spontaneously here in church. You know, somebody will come, come forward before service and say, you know, Pastor John, if there's time, there's something I'd like to share today something that happened to me this past week, a blessing that God gave me or a a situation that God helped me get out of. And we try to be open to that and say, sure, you know, take five, 10 minutes, get up there and, and, and talk. That's the Holy Spirit inspiring this person because the Holy Spirit wants to add that extra dimension to the service this week. You know, some churches just micromanage the service and some of you will say, wow, I just had a tremendous experience with God. Uh, Is it okay if I share it? No, we don't have time because that'll be in the the way of hymn number 14. And we dare not, you know, change the order of services because the music director gets real upset and we, we don't do things like that here. No, we have to be flexible and let the Holy Spirit do his work. And we never know from week to week what he might want to do during services because he's leading and guiding it. And we pray that every week. You know, take charge of this service. You know, help us all to do our part, but you guide it and direct it the way you want to. So we need to be aware of the Holy Spirit being here on a weekly basis and the job that he's doing. We're told in Ephesians 4, verse 30, Ephesians 4, verse 30 says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How do you grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, just like Ananias and Sapphira did. The Holy Spirit's got the church moving. They're on the move. The gospel's being preached. People are being saved. And all of a sudden, this major roadblock to the Holy Spirit and to the church is brought about. That's why it had to be removed uh, completely and instantly, and God did that. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. And one other scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 19 says this, do not put out the Spirit's fire. In some translations it says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is compared from time to time to a fire burning. It's giving off heat. There's power. There's strength there. And it's like somebody coming along with a bucket of water and pouring it on the fire. That's what Ananias and Sapphira attempted to do to the Holy Spirit. So when they lied, they weren't lying to a man. They were lying to the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to see the Holy Spirit. We need to appreciate what He's doing in the church on a daily basis. And He's here with us in a powerful way. And the Holy Spirit is God. It's not just the power of God. It's God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the God that we worship. So we've seen Achan's example as a comparison in the Old Testament. We've seen Satan's involvement in this sin. We've seen how they lied to the Holy Spirit, whether they realized it or not. Peter straightened them out on that. And the fourth and final lesson I think we can learn from this incident is that Peter, or Luke rather, as he writes this account, talks about how the people, after this happened, were filled with fear of God. Fear of God. And you can imagine how, how you would feel if... You know, someday, God forbid, something like that happened here. Somebody dropped dead on the spot because of what they had done. We'd all walk away staggering, in shock. And it would take us time to get over that, thinking, wow, I can't believe that happened in the church. How could God have allowed that to happen? Well, it happened, and it happened for a purpose. But what about this fear of God? You know, our word for fear translated here is really more accurately translated respect. It's not that we're fearful of God and trembling in our boots. It's talking about respect of God, that we as Christians, especially when we gather together, we got to know that God's here in a powerful way. He's working behind the scenes. We don't see him visibly, but we see the effects of what he's doing. Okay? And he's saying that we can't lose that respect of God, of who it is that we're dealing with. You know, when I was younger, I would talk a certain way, but whenever my dad was around, I was very careful what I said (laughs) out of respect for who he is and how he raised me. And I always wanted to show honor and respect to my parents. And there probably were times when I was a teenager especially that I mouthed off or said something that I shouldn't have said, and I ended up getting pretty strongly corrected for it. But I had to learn my lessons, okay? We need to learn the same lesson with regard, with regard to God. What happens here in this room every Sunday? It's not just a bunch of 30 to 40 people gathering together to, to you know, renew friendships and, and talk a lot. We have to realize who is here with us. Even though we don't see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're here. They are here. And you need to believe that, and you need to have respect of it. And you need to come to this place and not disrupt things. Uh, And and it just never fails to, you know, confuse me and and upset me. If you are coming someplace and you truly believe God was there, would you really show up late? I mean, if God was there, do you want to walk in the door late and kind of disrupt services and upset things and, and uh, distract people from what's going on here? I wouldn't. I, you know, I want to see what's going on here in the culture of this church. If I go and visit another church, I understand, you know, kind of quickly how things are going on and, and you know, the order of services and things like that. I want to participate. I don't want to disrupt Because this is a place where God's people are meeting, which means that God's here too. You know, the death of Ananias and Sapphira served a powerful example of the presence of God in the community of believers. Every community of believers, God is there participating and leading and directing. And after this happened with Ananias and Sapphira, believe me, buddy, no one would be tempted again to ever misrepresent uh, generosity by lying about it. I'll bet that lesson remained with the church for decades to come. Because they saw, you know what, we're told that God's here, but when those two people drop dead, I, now I believe it. I believe God's there, because people just don't drop dead by themselves like that. You know, God is love, and He has great patience with us. But Scripture says He also judges His people. Hebrews 10, verse 31. He judges the church. (laughs) He knows what goes on here every week. He's here. He witnesses it. He inspires it. He encourages it. There's a a, a, a Scripture back in the, the book of Proverbs that I think you're all familiar with. It says this in Proverbs 9, verse 10. Fear of the Lord... We'll call it respect. Respect of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. You have to start with a fear of God. In other words, who this is we're dealing with, this is the one who created all of creation. This is the one who sustains life, and he can end life anytime he may choose to. And the Bible is replete with examples of that. And here we read about one today. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I'll tell you what, a congregation who does not fear God or has no respect for God is not the kind of congregation that pleases God. God saw this attitude in these two people, and he is not going to let that attitude spread throughout the whole church. So he involved himself immediately, and he brought an end to the problem. And there was a lesson learned by the rest of the church And like I said, they learned the lesson of fear of God that day. It was a hard lesson to learn, and it's unfortunate the way it happened, but this is the way God wants his church to be, to have the right respect, not just during an hour and a half when you're in this room, but throughout your life, throughout your life. You're not going to use God's name in vain. Uh, You're going to represent yourself as a, a son or daughter of God in everything that you do, because God is watching You know, Ananias and Sapphira thought that they could hide what they did. And you know what? You can hide things from a pastor. You can hide things, you know, from church leaders, but you can't hide anything from God. God sees exactly what we do, not just at church, but all the time. So we have to have that right respect for who it is that we represent. Ananias and Sapphira were killed because they did not repent and they chose to persist in their lie. Now, the good news is the account says nothing about their eternal salvation, because after all, they were disciples, they were church members, they were baptized, they were covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So it doesn't specifically say whether this had anything to do with their salvation. I like to think positively that, you know what, we all make mistakes, we have all lied, their salvation is in God's hands and there's no better place for it to be and it's a merciful God we worship So be careful. Don't judge them yourself. You're not the judge. God is the judge Amen. So we don't know what's going to happen to them eventually. We may see them in the resurrection We may see them in heaven That's up to God but uh, Like I said a very difficult chapter in the Bible, but it's replete with lessons For us to learn, just as the early New Testament church learned them, Uh, take God seriously. He's a loving God, a forgiving God, a very patient God, but we always have to be reminded who it is we're dealing with, and He's really here. He's here every time we come together as a a church, and you know what? He's there with you in your personal life on a daily basis as well. So let's be the kind of uh, children that He's proud of, and sure, we make mistakes, but, uh, you know, after I read this story and understood it for the first time, I decided, man, I never want to lie to the minister <laughs> in any way. But, uh, you know, the same thing's not necessarily going to happen today. But uh, God wants us to be mature, uh, worshipful individuals, and children that are pleasing to Him. So I hope you can uh, take some things personally from this account. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and it's certainly unfortunate, the penalty that they suffered because of their sin. And we know that we suffer penalties for our sins too. We do things that we shouldn't do, and it seems that there's always a price to pay. Uh, Embarrassment, uh, we're misrepresenting you when we sin, we're not showing your holiness or, or the holiness that members of the congregation are supposed to show, help us to learn from this account, Lord, whatever lessons you'll have us take personally and help us to apply them to our daily lives. So thank you, Lord, for being a a loving God, but also a correcting God. We're your children and we need to be corrected from time to time. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.